A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now that's a God-sized dream, don't you think? You know, a Christmas tip that I read about just this past week really did kind of set me back a little bit. So I want to share it with you to see what you think about this particular Christmas tip. It goes like this. Remember, kids, if Santa brings you everything you ask for, you're not asking for enough. Did you get that? Remember, kids, if Santa brings everything you ask for, you're not asking for enough. Now, what do you think about that? Dr. Leonard Sweet, who uh, was my uh, doctorate professor, and he's spoken here at one of our lectures some years ago, but he's a wonderful author and preacher, and, uh, and, and I wanted to read with you a, a little excerpt from him dealing with this particular concept of you're not asking for enough. He said, if your kids are like the sweet children, they do not suffer from any form of wishful thinking shyness. A quick as parentally possible tour through the downtown New York City kid magnet of FAO Swartz and Times Square Toys R Us sent all three of our youngsters into get me, give me, and gotta have it overload. The Game Cubes, all waiting to be played. The Harry Potter Everythings, the two-story, you-can-walk-through-it pink Barbie dream house. The life-sized T-Rex that scared all of us. The whole electronic, glow-in-the-dark, furry, buzzy, beepy, singing, fantasy land of it all. 
Our kids wanted everything, at least until their eyes came to rest on the most outrageous display. Knowing that the tiniest infraction of our we're just looking, not buying rule would cause the entire dam to burst, we managed to escape these toy zones without making one single purchase. But that knowledge didn't keep the kids from asking, asking, asking. But as at first we were horrified at their blatant greediness. Whose kids were these anyway? From whence came their apparently insatiable hunger for more stuff? Their mother's side of the family? Their father's side of the family? But as we thought about it and talked about it this past week, their behavior took on a different kind of interpretation. First of all, although the kids knew perfectly well they weren't getting anything that day, and that they certainly weren't going to get everything in the store, they weren't afraid to ask with delight and enthusiasm. We have long established fairly strict family rules about the kinds of toys our kids will get. They know the rules, and they knew those rules were still firmly in place. But with confidence and love, they joyfully asked us for silly things, expensive things, cheap things, ridiculous things, safe bet things, and never in a million year things. In other words, they weren't afraid to ask for more. Asking for more is exactly what this passage is about today. In fact, asking for more is exactly what the Advent season is all about. In, in Isaiah's eloquent article, his prophecy speaks of the yearnings and the longings of desperate people. The monarchy of Israel and Judah is in ruins. Generations of self-absorbed, self-serving actions move them away from God and into the mess that they found themselves in. The puppet kings of the monarchy left the nations, Israel and Judah, dismantled and in despair. However, the people could envision a better day. They longed for a king, that one to come out of the root of Jesse, right? They longed for a king that would restore their, their freedom and restore their greatness as a people. And Isaiah says quite blatantly, you should ask for more. Now you've had kings, and kings don't seem to work for you. You need more. Isaiah's prophecy refuses to think of small things. Isaiah says, don't ask for a new king. Ask for more. Ask for a spirit-filled leader, a new ruler, one that we'll call the Prince of Peace, one who will be filled with the righteousness of God, one who will come in here and will set a standard for us to long for and to look for and to work for in partnership with this one who is to come. 
And under this messianic king, Isaiah joyfully describes, not a nation restored, but a world transformed. More is all about the difference between the ambition of making a difference in the world and the ambition of making a different world. Let me say that again. The more that Isaiah is speaking about is all about the difference between the ambition of making a difference in the world and the ambition of making a different world. What would our world be like if we really did allow the little child to lead us into a new order, a new age, a new peace? You know, this uh, past week on Wednesdays, I gathered with my uh, Bible study, my men's Bible study, and they really did say some outlandish things in keeping with this passage. I tried to keep them under control, but it really did get out of hand. You you know, sometimes that's the way it is when we start looking at the Bible and we start trying to think in terms of the way God thinks through the prophets especially. And and, and one said, well, what, what, what if we did everybody's Christmas every week? What if every week we bust as many homeless people to church as possible? And we let our homeless friends have our seats. You know, just like we'll do on December the 20th. We'd have a full sanctuary, and that's what some people are concerned about, so they'd be happy, right? I'm telling you, they got out of hand. What if we served a sit-down lunch for them, and, and we were the servers, just like we'll do on December the 20th? What if when everybody was served right after church, then we would sit down and visit with them and we'd laugh and we'd enjoy one another's company? You know, us and the homeless folk, our friends. And of course, that would take us into the afternoon, 1.30, 2 o'clock, before we'd have our lunch. And then it would be a problem for some of us on Dallas Cowboy game days when they kicked off at noon. And you know, I listened to how this conversation went to this glorious Isaiah-like mountaintop to start descending down to the Dallas Cowboy Valley. I started to say, don't worry about the Cowboys. If they continue to play like this, we're not going to have that problem. But that's another matter. You know, it really does something to your head when we as Christians start really reading the Bible and thinking outside the box. And, you know, we get these glimpses of, 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 of this peace that Isaiah is talking about. And then when we experience that peace, we say, you know, wasn't, wasn't that really wonderful? It's too bad we can't have it every Sunday and we'll just look forward to it next year. And we say that about everybody's Christmas, but... We could say it about other things that we know are in keeping with God's peace, like packing rations for feed my starving children and how we enjoy that. And we know that we're feeding a a child, a hungry child for a day. 
maybe millions of them. What if we started talking about something like microeconomics and we started talking about helping people get a a real leg up? What if we started talking about justice in areas where where poverty reigns? What if we started talking about sharing along the lines of the Bible? Well, then you're starting to get out of hand. We've got to reel ourselves back from the dreams of Isaiah. Got to come back down to earth. Got to realize that this is a God-sized dream and we need to kind of wade into it. You know, Isaiah says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah says to us, that we need to hope and we need to pray and we need to believe in a peace that, 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 will, that will be from the knowledge of God, will be from the very mind of God, the very ways of Jesus, as we Christians would say, that would be all about peace. You know, the, the knowledge of the Lord is about making peace, but more Personally and specifically, it's about you being a peacemaker. Peacemaking begins with, with the Lord's concept, the Lord's big idea. But, but peacemaking also involves us in bringing about that peace in the making. Here are a few thoughts that I believe are based on this scripture passage that we read. I believe when we start talking about the nations, I believe that peacemaking or a peacemaker can be patriotic. It's of course all right to embrace a patriotic belief as a Christian. It's of course all right to say that we are one nation under God. But it's not all right to believe that we are the only nation under God. Or that we are God's only chosen nation. Then we cross the line and we're into our own agenda and not into Isaiah's peacemaking agenda. A peacemaker has imagination. Imagination means having the ability to lift anchor. To free the mind from being tied to the harbor of an old order and set sail off in a direction into the deep waves of a new order. We need to have the imagination that Isaiah is trying to present to us and presenting this image of these different animals that in essence are kind of like enemies uh, getting along. Uh, An image of a new order. Where, where things are different. Because we're not thinking the way we always think. We're thinking the way God thinks. The Lord's knowledge. A peacemaker embraces the characteristic of ambition. But not ambition the way that we might narrowly define it. I'm talking about peacemakers pushing on when they want to stand still. Peacemakers that don't sit down and play the ain't it awful game. But they have ambition uh, right alongside with the prophet Isaiah that, that we can be better than this. 
We can be more powerful than this because we can be more peacemaking than we are right now. A peacemaker possesses a shalom spirituality. We know the word shalom means peace, of course. So a peacemaker possesses a peace spirituality. And this shalom spirituality is a missionary spirituality. A recognition that the kingdoms of this world with all their living death and dying life are not our home. It's not our destination. A shalom spirituality doesn't settle for the way things are, but pushes forward for the way things can be. We pray each and every Sunday, and I hope we're not just going through the motions, but we pray the Lord's Prayer, don't we? And we pray that thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We want that kind of of ambition, that kind of imagination. We want that kind of shalom spirituality to be the new order of the day. And our prayer and our hope and our expectation is that God brings His home to our world. That God brings His way of living to our way of life. And this little child will lead them. This babe in the manger that we're talking a lot about these days and will increasingly talk about all the way through the Christmas season and and talk about what this one represents, this Prince of Peace. You know, when we start talking about peace, we we, we really have to admit that that little song, Let Peace Begin With Me, really does challenge us and cause us to be somewhat uneasy. Now, peace is best left to be a concept or best left to be literature in the Bible. It's certainly not meant to be put into full practice. I mean, full-blown pursuit. But it is. And it's one thing to know of the knowledge of the Lord... And, and to know what it means to make for peacemaking, it's, it's quite another thing to make those kinds of commitments in our lives that bring peace about. So I have my own wish list. I'm wishing for a little more. You know, it's one thing for lambs and lions to lie down together. It's another thing for Democrats and Republicans to lie down together. It's one thing for leopards and baby goats to get along, but it's quite another thing for traditionalists and progressives in the United Methodist Church to get along. But couldn't we write this whole text in keeping with the spirit of Isaiah by inserting inserting, um, contemporary divisions and contrasts and enemies? in the hope that the little child that leads us could lead us to a different kind of peace? Remember what I said about dreams and wishes? Remember what I said about if they don't cause you to smile or or laugh out loud, then they're probably not God-sized? Well, get ready. I wish for peace 
that would bring about an end to political wrangling and bring about a civility like we've never seen or ever imagined could be the way to treat one another. And the world would look on our democracy and the world, the church is called to transform, would be looking on our way of life and say, wow. I see some smiles. I I I wish for peace where truth matters again. A peace for where ethical behavior is not blurry but understood by everything. And that's how we roll in spirit and truth. And for we as Christians, we, we don't have those ethical blurs at all because we have the perfect example of the Isaiah way in the person of Jesus uplifted in the Bible. I wish for a peace where people didn't live by their tweets. I'm not talking about the president either. I'm talking about you. <laughs> that they know will be offensive to many, but go ahead and tweet anyway. If we tweet controversial stuff all the time to make us feel better, you know what? You're the main one feeling better. It's not peace. I wish for a peace where really listening and seeking to understand matters is the order of the day. And compromise is not a bad word or equated with selling out. As the world we are trying to transform watches us, I would hope that we could listen closer and care more empathetically. Well, now you're, you're not smiling. You're kind of looking grouchy. <laughs> I wish for a different way of keeping score. Where we don't have an obsession in winning and losing, but we're concerned about each other. We're not concerned about who gets the credit, but we're concerned about getting to a better place together. Now, what are you wishing? What are you willing to do? Are we really expecting more? Are the same old stuff. I remember as a little child, I don't even remember the name of that cave down in Georgetown, Texas, but, but I remember as a little child going into that cave. And I think it's the experience of every tour into a cave that they turn out the lights at some point. Because I can remember how dark it was in that cave. I read a story just this week that reminded me about that. It, it was a story about a, a tour group that went into Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And, and the story was about how that they got to that point in the tour where they turned off all the lights. And, 
and, and it w- was, was quiet. The tour guide wasn't saying anything. It was just this deep darkness that descended on all of the visitors. It was an eerie experience. And just like as a child, when I went into that cave down in Georgetown, there was a child in this group and this child started to cry out loud and getting louder and louder and then this child's brother spoke up and said don't be afraid Tommy there's a man who knows how to turn on the lights there's a man who knows how to turn on the lights one thing Isaiah was clear about was this world of darkness that they all found themselves in and that they needed to expect more than they'd had in the past if they really wanted the lights on in the ninth chapter preceding this eleventh chapter we have a beautiful description um, not so much about this time of peace that is to come but more about that Prince of Peace who's bringing it about. And then this grand statement. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And John said, and about this light, the darkness cannot overcome it. It wins. And about this light, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And and neither do we put candles under a bushel, but we raise them up on a candlestick for for all the world to see. Let your, your light shine in the darkness so that they may see your good works of peace. Peace. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Friends, we read Isaiah, and it's okay to smile or even laugh out loud, but it's not okay to say that was meant for somebody else. It's your peacemaking orders. It's your peacemaking agenda. For you are called to be the light, just like our Lord is the light, to shine in the midst of the darkness and be about peace try tweeting that this afternoon it might make a difference amen